Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Two weeks ago, we had Andrea Horvath on the show on what we like to call Mayoral Mondays to outline her platform. Next week, we have Bob Bertina coming on to talk about his platform as he runs for mayor. Today, we have a guy whose name means ancient. That's what his first name means. And he is the youngest one running. So, you know, a little irony there. Keenan Loomis joins us today. Uh, Keenan, how are you? I'm doing well, Scott. I did not actually know that my first name mean, meant ancient. <laughs> is that right? Well, see, yeah. you learn something here. You learn something every day. <laughs> Well, thank and we you. will learn, and we will learn something here from you. I hope too, because I want to get into we have we have a couple segments, but it's still limited time. But I want to get into a bunch of the things that you are proposing um, as you run for mayor, and things you would do if you win as mayor. Because sure you know, thing. I I don't know how engaged people are in the election yet, but I'm trusting they're going to be soon, and they're going to want to know these things. Yeah. Well, the you engagement have, has definitely, definitely uh, been enhanced over the last little bit. And uh, it's, you know, we're, we're seeing so much energy and so much focus now into this. So uh, it's, it's getting really exciting. The first sentence when you open up your platform online, and by the way, it's votelumis.ca. I'll mention that a few times so people can go look it up themselves, votelumis.ca. The first sentence says, it's time for change in Hamilton. What does that mean to you? Well, what it means is that we can't continue to be doing the same things that we've been doing for the last couple of decades. Uh, you know, so as most of uh, the people listening will know that I, I've been running the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce for the last 10 years, been the voice of business here in the city. And uh, we have come a long way as a community. And it has been the contributions of, uh, you know, the chamber and businesses and individuals and not-for-profits and, um, and the anchor institutions and, and so many others but everything we have accomplished has been in spite of our leadership at City Hall. And so I uh, ask, like so many other people that I have uh, met along the way, you know, imagine how much more we could be if we had great leadership. Imagine how uh, we could tackle the challenges that we have, take advantage of the opportunities that we have as well. And so, um, you know, obviously, if you look at my competitors, they do not represent change in any way. They've all had their their time. Um, they have been, in fact, uh, very actively part of the problems. And so um, they do not represent change. And I am the only candidate here that uh, that does. Uh, you said that we've had these these successes in spite of the leadership. Who, In your mind, who was the last good mayor of Hamilton? Well, as you know, I've been here for, uh, for 13 years. So that's about um, as far back as... Uh, my understanding of you know the leadership in this community but uh, you know I've, I've been able to meet uh mayor morrow uh mayor wade um certainly they were very decent gentlemen um mayor wade in, in particular um and people who you you know were doing it for the right reasons um but uh you know since i've been here it's it's been a struggle i've, I've been you know proud to work with uh, Mayor Eisenberger on a, a number of things, in particular LRT and uh, COVID recovery and all of that. But, you know, you just see it how uh, council has devolved uh, over the last four years in particular. And, you know, um, just the I know that we can definitely have better leadership, um, but certainly, uh, you know, the, the worst four years that I've been here in Hamilton was uh, was when Bob Bertina was mayor. And we certainly can't afford to go back there. When you talk about change and how you would bring different leadership, the mayor, while he or she is a figurehead, certainly, and is in a unique position, you still have just one vote on council. So is promising change something that you can promise or something that you would hope to do? 
Well, we're getting change no matter what this year. We're going to have at least seven new faces. So, in fact, we have an incredible opportunity um, to be able to ensure that going forward, we will not continue to make the same mistakes. That we will not continue to waste the time that we've been wasting on personal petty politics, um, on dealing with uh, rogue counselors um, that haven't ever been restrained and thus, uh, you know, have gone completely off the rails. Um, and so, you know, we, we have an incredible opportunity. We're going to get change. And of course, it really, really matters who's going to be in the mayor's office um, at that point in time and who's going to be able to bring everybody together um, and uh, and create the new tone uh, that we need to to have to be productive going forward. And, you know, I've been able to demonstrate that uh, over the last 10 years. Um, you know, it wasn't just the, the voice of business. It was bringing, you know, certainly the private sector to the table, but uh, the not-for-profits uh, and uh, the anchor institutions and uh, so many uh, incredible individuals who have contributed so much uh, to this community. That's my leadership style. So I will work to to build um, you know, bridges uh, at council, and we will uh, be collaborative in uh, how we do the, the people's business going forward. Speaking of change, and that is one of the big themes of your campaign, for sure, um, in your platform as well, again, votelumis.ca for people who want to look this up. You say, and this is a quote, I want to develop a pledge for all council members to sign as a commitment to behaving professionally, respectfully, and collaboratively, and representing residents' interests over their agenda. I want to go to that last point for a second. How would you discern what are the residents' interests and what is the councillor's agenda? How do you dis- distinguish between those two things? Well, so one of the things that we have had um, is, you know, and this is a, a little bit of a vestige of um, of the, the amalgamation era, but, you know, we've had people uh, in council who said, hey, I, you know, I'm the mayor of Glenbrook, I'm the mayor of Ancaster, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that obviously doesn't serve um, – the, the corporation that is the city of Hamilton uh, very well. It's one thing to provide the perspectives of your citizens at council, um, and that's very, very valuable. And that's absolutely uh, necessary as we make decisions going forward. But, you know, we have had uh, essentially, um, you know, the, the type of atmosphere in, in, in City Hall where we have all these little fiefdoms. And, you know, what people have to appreciate and understand, especially, you know, the newcomers um, that will be sitting around that table come November 15th, is that there are times where, you know, you you have to wear your ward hat, but there are more times when you have to wear your board hat, when you have to understand that you're the director of the corporation of the city of Hamilton, and you have to be making decisions that are in the best interest of the city at large. And you know what? I think there's a lot of people listening who are nodding their heads vigorously when you say that. It's just putting it into a, applying it becomes more difficult. I'll use an example. Um, We have had an ongoing discussion, you're very aware of this, about say, and I'm just choosing one, about encampments. If we were to find that most people in the city disagreed with allowing encampments, should a, should a counselor who agrees with letting those stand or doesn't agree with taking them down, should they put their own feelings aside and acquiesce? How would it work? Well, so when it comes to encampments, um, I don't I don't know of any person out there who is pro encampments. The only issue here is is whether is 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 what we do about it. And if we break up an encampment, basically we're just moving the problem somewhere else. 
and the, uh, another encampment will will coalesce. And now we don't have the ability to to, to track uh, these people that you know we've been providing services to and trying to help get out of encampments. So you know I, I think when it comes to um, we have to really look at what the the right policy solutions are for uh, these particular uh, really thorny issues. Um, and you know and and that's where I certainly want to make sure that going forward, we're being respectful in our conversations, where we're understanding people when they say, you know, and as I have, that breaking up in encampments is is cruel and counterproductive. It it is, and we we have to make space for people who uh, are saying that, while understanding as well that folks that are living near encampments, um, it it's hard. It 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 makes them uncomfortable. It makes it difficult to to raise a family, and and we have to be able to understand all sides. But really, the focus needs to be in how do we eliminate encampments entirely so that the folks that are right now um, living rough on our streets and in our parks are able to find uh, a a warm bed um, that allows them to live with dignity and allows them to be treated um, for, you know, the the various uh, either mental health or addictions and or, um, you know, type of uh, problems that they're going through um, and address uh, affordability at the same time by creating more housing stock. So we haven't really gotten beyond, uh, you know, this whole, uh, this binary choice of encampments or no encampments to have that discussion that I just talked about and how we, we end encampments uh, entirely. Talking about a number of things in the platform, obviously we don't have time to get to everything. Go look up his platform. I keep saying it, uh, you really should. VoteLumis.ca. Uh, give it a read. It's, it, it is worth your time. Uh, Keenan, thanks for sticking around. Really appreciate this. Um, you have vowed to oversee the building of 50,000 new housing units over the next decade, or at least to get that rolling right. over the next 10 years. That's about double what we've been seeing on average year after year in the city. Is it feasible? Is it realistic to say that we could double our output of housing units? It's not just realistic, but it's necessary. We know that the supply of housing is one of the biggest drivers of unaffordability in our community. We also know that the province is requiring us. This is the whole, you know, uh, urban boundary versus, you know, uh, debate. The province is requiring us to plan for accommodating a uh, hundred thousand new households in Hamilton over the next 25, uh, 25 years. So we have to do this. And, you know, the, the way to do that is to, is to lower the barriers, reduce the red tape in City Hall where, you know, the, the stories of, of, you know, projects that are, have been languishing for years are legion. Um, and, you know, there's, there's definitely things that we can be doing to address that. In fact, you know, if the province is saying, look, if, if you as a municipality don't act uh, quickly to approve these uh, developments, you're going to have to refund the development charges. Well, that there's a there's an opportunity and there's a, a, a need right there to invest in, in extra staff um, so that we don't uh, end up refunding those development charges. So it's it's a it's something that's definitely doable. Um, it you know and, and it's a whole bunch of different types of housing. It's not just you know the the few remaining greenfield developments that we have within the urban boundary. Um, it's not just about intensification along the transit corridors as well, but it's also supporting the affordable homes providers. The, the Hamilton is Homes group that have about 3,000 units that are all ready to go 
um, and they just need the city to get out of the way. So we're going to clear that red tape. It's going to be a major focus of ours because we just have to. People are demanding it. And, you know, I talk to people across the city and, and they're most concerned about, like I am, where are their kids going to live, you know, when they grow up and, and get out of the house? And, and then ultimately we get into where are they going to work and, you know, what type of city are they going to uh, be growing up in? But um, this is absolutely necessary for us to bring down the cost of ho- housing because affordability is the number one issue here in Hamilton. One of the other issues, another, not one of the other, another issue that has come up in discussion, and I'm shocked that this one has become a real issue because it's about the least sexy thing I think we can talk about in the city, but it's area rating. It's become yeah. one of these things that people are talking about uh, miraculously. Are you for or against getting rid of area rating? We need to phase out area rating over time. This is one of those things that previous councils have not dealt with. They have they keep kicking the can down the road, and, and in fact, it, it starts in in 2000, you know, at, right after amalgamation, and they did not make the hard decisions then, the decisions that were absolutely necessary then, and council after council after council has failed to to grapple with this issue. And it is a complex issue. It's taken me a, a long time to really, truly understand it. But basically what we are doing is building and, and growing as a city along the edges. Uh, so think about Winona, think about Binbrook, think about Waterdown, uh, think about even Ancaster. Um, and then think about the transit service or the lack of transit service that those communities get. And so they are not getting the transit service because they're not being asked to pay for it. And I understand that people don't want their taxes to go up um, without a plan. And so what we need to do is not eliminate area rating, uh, you know, in uh, in one fell swoop. Um, That is not fair. Uh, What we need to do is we need to plan uh, for transit in Winona and Binbrook and Waterdown and all the other outlying communities that are, you know, the larger population centers. I'm not talking about, you know, the Carlisles and Orkney and, and whatever, but those those areas that you know because they're they're growing and, and they're they're now thriving suburbs, they require transit. It's for you know the the businesses in those communities. It's for the 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 children in those communities, the seniors in those communities as well. And the expectation is that a great city has great transit. And so what we need to do is we need to. Build, we need to create a plan to the folks in Winona, to the folks in Benbrook, and say, this is what we are going to be asking you to invest in. And people will, will invest in that because, as I said, they're clamoring for transit right now, they won't, but they want to see a plan before they're asked to pay for it. One of the things, though, that seems to be confusing about this discussion right now is there seems to be some suggestion that, okay, so if we make the people in the suburbs get rid of area rating and pay more for transit, those who have been paying more for transit will see a reduction in their taxes. That, to me, would mean net zero. How do you then add to the transit system? Are you saying... So are you saying the people who are paying more would keep where they are right now? Others would then go up to meet them? Yes. Okay. All right, so it's not a drop in taxes to some people. It's 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 balancing it out. No, a drop in taxes to some people would not solve the the issue of of underfunding the underfunding that we have um, been engaged in 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 transit. Fair enough. That makes much more sense than some of the explanations that we've been getting. That some are right. going to save money out of this because then how do you get anywhere if we're actually right. cutting money out and then adding other money? It doesn't make sense. All right. Yeah. 
Infrastructure. You have said you'd like to prioritize Hamilton's infrastructure, and you said you'd like to do it in discussions with provincial, uh, provincial and federal partners. Now, we know the province has said it's already going to come through with three point something billion dollars for the LRT. This is not an election about LRT, by the way. I'm not getting into that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that maybe the cost of the LRT has gone up in recent days. We don't know. But what if what if the province, what if the feds come back and say, you know, we're giving you enough already. We've got every other city with their hand out. We don't have more for infrastructure for you. How then do we as Hamiltonians deal with our infrastructure problems? Well, we had to demonstrate to the higher levels of government that Hamilton is a, uh, a city with, with special needs because we are, uh, you know, we, we do have some pretty aged infrastructure. We have been, you know, the, the economic backbone of this country and this province um, in previous eras. And it's time for us to get back to, to doing that. And with that, we need some some very targeted and, and specific and, and smart investments, the type of investments that are going to unlock um, greater investment into our community. So, you know, the the 1.7 billion that each of the the province and the federal and the federal government are going to be contributing to the LRT is a good start, and it's a big chunk of change. But you know, we need to continue going forward. We we need to start to plan for uh, the A line, for example. Um, as we're building B-Line so that we're ready to go forward with that transit project. And that transit project is going to serve the mountain and it's going to, it's going to connect the lower city and the upper city, and it's going to serve the airport, airport employment growth district and the airport um, and the, the harbor front lands that we're developing on right now. That's a smart investment, the type of investment that's going to yield, um, you know, greater development in this community and continue on uh, in that vein. We have laid out all of those investments that we're going to need um, from upper tiers of government. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we're going to be asking them for for more money going forward. You just mentioned the Harbor Lands. Now, I'm not sure that you've got anything specific in your platform. Then again, this is something relatively new. It came up at the General Issues Committee just last Wednesday, I believe. So this is something that the new council is going to be facing, what to do with all those former industrial lands down by the water. Incredibly, potentially incredibly valuable, potentially incredibly city changing, probably way too difficult a question to get you to answer in the next minute or so. But what is the vision for that from your perspective? Well, so it depends on what part of the, the harbor front you're talking about. The industrial bayfront, when when it comes to Stelco, when it comes to any of the, uh, the other lands, um, you know, under the the uh the ownership of the hamilton port authority you know those those are ripe for development ripe for jobs ripe for transformation um into you know a clean uh industrial uh you know economy going forward when it comes to the uh the pier eight lands um you know we have a, a mixed-use community that's going down there there will be thousands of new residents uh going down there um as well and so uh, the the plan there, or the the big the the big uh, issue there, is whether we go forward with a a large tower, um, or whether you know that's a, a little out of scale. And and that's something that I'm hearing from the North End neighbors. Um, I get their their uh, you know their concerns, and and that's something that we definitely need to grapple with uh, as a new council because we need to get for going forward with that plan. You know that that is an incredible area uh, for growth. Um, we put already a lot of investment in it, shoring up uh, the, uh, the 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 pier sides. Um, so it's time to to start building. And you know I, I just fear that that's going to be another one of those 
areas of another one of those projects in Hamilton that, that languages languishes for, for decades. And we we're over time. So I hate yeah. to do this, but, um, yeah. you've said a couple times now, you've talked about development, you've talked about developers, sometimes around here in the city, those two words are treated as bad words that we don't like developers so much. Some people, we don't like development. Do can, can we afford to treat those as bad words or do we have to come around and say, no, we need to encourage those things? We have to encourage those things. There, you know, there's no other way of being able to to build 50,000 homes in Hamilton over the next 10 years. There's no other way to be that city of 800,000 people by 2050 that the province is forcing us to plan for without developers. I have, I will, you know, um, defend uh, people who have profit motives. It's, you know, it's definitely important, but it do, it also um, is not necessarily about profit. Um, when you have incredible not-for-profit developers uh, developing affordable units in this community, 3,000 again that are planned right now, and, and they need to be supported as well. So basically, I'm supportive of anybody who's willing to do something uh, in the city because that's what we need to be focused on is, is getting stuff done to, again, uh, meet our challenges and take advantage of the incredible opportunities that we have in this great city. That is Keenan Loomis. He is running for mayor. You can read his full platform on voteloomis.ca. It is all there. We could only get to a, a sliver of it today, but uh, Keenan, really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thank you for this. Thank you, Scott. It is an extensive platform, but what I'm the things I'm most proud of is that we actually have a platform and we forced our competitors to have a platform. We've There's been far too many uh, elections uh, in the last few cycles where there has been no platform. Nobody's running on issues, but the people of Hamilton deserve to know what the plans are for the people who are trying to, to run for leadership in this community. So I'm proud of that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is Monday and I want to say this and I generally try and, you know, I don't know, give Don the gears a little bit, but we, we have Don Robertson on here every Monday and I want to tell you today, I'm going to say something nice about Don. I know it's a rarity. It's so unusual, but it's true. We had a, a, a celebration of life for my parents on the weekend and Don had a golf game. This was in Waterloo where they lived. Don drove all the way to Waterloo from Hamilton just to sign the register and say hello and offer his best and all the way back. I was blown away. That's the kind of guy that Don Robertson is. It's not why we have him on the show. We have him on the show because he talks a good game. But it is a sign of what a good guy Don Robertson is. Uh, he joins me now. Don, how are you today? I'm great, Scott. How are you? I am okay. So all those things that we say about you and that all the other people say, but pretty much that everybody says about you, not really true. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'd have been a lot better off if you hadn't have told people that because just let them think what they want to think about me. I'm fine with that. They well, just, they can still, uh, they can still think those things. This may have been a one-off, but uh, it was a nice one-off. Let's put it that way. Don is a good guy. Um, Don, let's get in. You Yesterday, I know you were uh, doing stuff, but I also know you watched some of the video of this. Uh, the Bills were playing the Dolphins yesterday, and partway through the game, the Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tayavagaloa, whose name I probably just massacred. I, I can never say it properly. Anyway, <laughs> he gets pushed backwards. Not really a cheap shot. I mean, there was a penalty on it, but it was just a push. He gets pushed backwards and bangs his head off the turf, gets up. Well, first of all, as you watch the replay, as he hits the turf, his hands immediately go up and hold his head like it's been a problem, gets up and is wobbly, shakes his head, then tries to take a few steps and almost collapses, then shakes his head again before getting helped off the field. Goes to the, tra the training room where they apparently do the concussion protocol and in like minutes he's back on the field. After the game, 
his ex- explanation was, oh no, it was my back that was hurt. Even though at no point in the entire thing did he reach for his back or show any sign that it was his back. It was done, his head banged off the turf and then he acted like a boxer who'd been knocked silly. To me, this is an entire indictment of the entire NFL's concussion protocol. It looks like a f- complete farce after this. Am I wrong? No, and uh, I watched it. Thank you. And uh, to be honest with you, I think Suze pushes me down harder a couple times a week than he got pushed down. So it wasn't like it was a head hit from anybody. But when he got up, clearly the wobble demon had a hold of his legs. And no disrespect to Ben's full-time position here, but he it may have been Ben doing the examination if he had a concussion. <laughs> and I heard the coach's comments saying, we talked to him. Well, I, and as of you, me in a different role, I've been around athletes pretty much all my adult life. And if they're hurt or if they bang their head, the first thing you know they're going to do is lie to you. No, I'm good. I'm fine. I can go back in. Like, we don't put up with that with the real McCoys. If we think there's something wrong, you've got to go to the room. That's and that's my problem with this, is there's never been an athlete who's going to say, oh, yeah, coach, take me out. I want to be out. Never. Unless you are literally to the point where you cannot move or you know you can't function, they're always going to tell you whatever it takes to get back out there. I had, a, I had a guy say to me four years ago, he whacked his head and he was sitting there. I said, Yari, he said, yeah. I said, what about your kids? I want you to go to the room. He said, okay, I'll go to the room. I just had to bring his kids up because he wasn't sure. And, you know, our guys aren't get, making any money. But you have to realize the position you're in. And those guys, you got to remind them, this is your life. And to, I saw the coach's comments after for what you're saying, Scott. And he's saying it was a back issue. Well, I don't know. You don't have to be a, a, a doctor to say, to your point, he never reached around for his back. He never pretended it was back. He almost wiped out. And that's what guys do when they're concussed. It, was, it, was, it wasn't good on the NFL. Let's put it that way. I mean, it just, just take him out. Well, and I go beyond just, Don, the idea that he cleared concussion protocol, all right, I don't know what the concussion protocol is, but these are supposed to be independent neurologists who are on the sidelines. And I, I'll tell you, if, if I, if my kid was taken to a hospital with the exact same symptoms and told those neurologists when they asked him some questions that it was his back hurting and the neurologist sent him out of the hospital and said, he's totally fine. It's his back. I would be furious at the neurologist only because even if there's some doubt, right? I think my kid is probably pulling a fast one on you. He, he, he banged his head. He reached for his head. He shook his head like he was a little foggy and then he collapsed. Surely there's enough there to say, even if he tells you it's his back, maybe it's his head. I, I, I just, I just can't believe after the NFL went through all that lawsuit and everything else, I can't believe that their concussion protocol looks like this. This to me is an absolute, if this had happened in hockey, I don't believe for a second, and now I'm not pretending that the NHL or any other hockey league is perfect, but I can't believe there's a doctor in hockey that would have said to the guy who collapsed on the ice, yeah, go right back out. You're good. I can't believe that would happen. No, it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen to the, the four string guy or your best player. It's a quarterback. It's a tremendous investment. 
just look at it from a business standpoint. You don't need to beat the Buffalo Bills, which they did. You don't need to do that. The whole thing is far more important than today's game. I I concur with you. I think it was Dr. Ben on the sidelines. I mean, who – I just – It'll it'll be interesting to see if he plays this week. They didn't practice today, but if he doesn't play next week, it's very clear somebody screwed up. No, he'll just say it was a back injury. They'll, it'll come out if he doesn't play on Thursday because they play Thursday. That's a short week. If they don't play, if he doesn't play Thursday, yeah. he'll be listed as a back injury because Don, there is no way with the NFL's system and liability and everything else, there is no way they could suddenly say he had a concussion. It's impossible. The, 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 the opening for a massive lawsuit, if he has long-term health conditions down the road, if they did that, would be outrageous. It'll be a back injury. Yeah. Well, boy, that's an awful lot of people on the grassy knoll with a conspiracy theory, right? Like there's, like half the team knows, the trainers will know, the coaches will know. You can't fool everybody. Well, unless he is simp- unless he is trying to say, it's my back. I just simply say, even if his back is tweaked, every other part of this, the spotters are supposed to be independent and observe this from a distance, be in, dispassionate and be impartial and look at this as a physician, as a doctor, as an observer and say, what does that look like to you? And I mean, that would be like Mike Tyson knocking a guy out and the guy says, oh, I didn't get knocked out. I tweaked my back. That's why I couldn't stand up. Well, maybe, maybe you tweaked your back, but there was also the part of it where he slammed his fist into your face and you went goofy. I just, I can't believe that a doctor could look at that and say, you're fine. It's very questionable. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying the same thing we are, and perhaps it's his back, but it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell when he grabs his head never grabs his back, the wobble demon have his legs, and the guy can't walk, but... Right, and so yeah. so let's just talk about the, the perception for a moment, because that's another part of this. I mean, whether it, it may affect Tua or not, but the perception of this, every single fan watching that, and most of the commentators, and most of the players, I'm sure, all saw what happened and said, come on. That's a head. We know it's a head. It looks like a head. It's got to be a head. This is the most unusual reaction to a back injury ever, if it was. The perception alone, surely, if if that this was in fact not, they should have sent the neurologist out front of the cameras to say, hey, I did a thorough examination of some kind, right? I mean, but there, you need, in this case, for the perception for the league, you need to put that doctor out front to say what he did and what the test was. Otherwise, it looks like it was a three-minute, you know, what day is it? Well, it's Sunday. Well, it's a pretty good guess. You're playing football. Um, it's a very small chances that it's not. Uh, what team do you play for? Uh, Miami. Okay, good. You're good to go. I mean, was that the test? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. you're right. It's uh, and the commentators. They could have heard some of it. Like, oh, wow, he's got a bang to the head, like, they were telling, they were describing what they saw. Now, because I didn't see the game, and I was at the beautiful Lancaster Fair with the grandkids, but uh, because I didn't see the commentary, I'd be interested to hear the comments when he come back into the game. I don't know if you watched it, but really, like, well, and they that, have to and, be and careful that's... too. 
right? They have to be careful too because we know who's paying them. Yeah, I, I, you know, look, even if it was his back, as I say, and I, I, I have such a hard time believing when you watch this whole thing, I have such a hard time believing it was his back. But all right, let's take his word for it and say it really was his back. I go back to my other point. When part of what the NFL has been pushing for a number of years now is we are all about player safety. We are all about concussion protocol and player safety. To me, you have to do better than simply putting the guy who says it's his back up on the podium and his coach, who quite frankly, the coach knows nothing more than what the player told him. I don't blame the coach for what he says. He says, I thought it was his head and he says it was his back. So he said it was his back. You have to do better. You have to, for the perception of the league and what your protocol is, put someone up there who can explain what actually happened to me. Otherwise, the whole thing is just a giant game. I guess like you're the, you're the pro here. You do this for a living. I think if they said it was the back, let's say it was the back. Let's run with the story they're telling us. And the guy gets hit, pushed down, really, gets pushed down, gets up, can hardly walk a couple times. If it's his back, what, why does he go back in the game? Like if you're well, that's another good question. And he, and he can't friggin' walk. If he can't walk properly and it's his back, really, forget about it. Okay. So we just trot him back out there again, saying, "Oh, your back will be fine." We, you know, we put a bandaid on it. Really, because if it was his back, he shouldn't have went in anyway, because he couldn't walk. Well, there's that. I mean, it's a good point. I hadn't even considered that, but yeah. So you put him back in. You say he's totally fine. His back is so injured. I, I don't know, Don. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an you know, all these kind of things. I don't know if muscular or like with musculature, if that could cause your legs to give out like that. But to me, that looks like something more serious. If you've now got a pinched nerve or something in your back. And again, I don't know what I'm talking about, but the way he went down did not look like it was just a cramp or something else that was muscular. So to put him back in, even if it was a back injury with something that serious that caused you to go down like that, you're saying that couldn't happen again? I, I, you're right. You're right. I was being kind. I think every 90% of the people on the planet think it was his head. I'm just playing devil's advocate and giving them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, it wasn't his head. His back is screwed up. Send him out anyways. And you know who should ask? Dr. Ben, because I've anointed him the guy that knows. Yeah, well, Dr. Ben is, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to go to him for anatomical advice either, but nonetheless, it's, uh, it, it, to me, Don, it just, it, it, that one particular thing to me just made a mockery of everything the NFL says that it's all concerned with. It does. It did. And, and once again, not to be too repetitive, but if this was not a head injury, when every single element of it looked like a head injury, they needed to put someone forward who was one of the, in, in the people advi- uh, examining him to say, how was this not a head injury? Otherwise, you're taking again your players in a, if they're playing for the Allen Cup in the final game, and they break their wrist. Some of them are going to say, "I'm fine. Let me go out there again." It, you could do more damage to it. I'm good. I'm fine. Now it's a wrist, but y- you can't listen to a player. They want to play. That's by definition. That's who they are. I I do it all the time when I walk in the trainer's room and. The trainers are looking, and I say, how is he? And they answer. My standard answer is, and it's with all of them, I don't care what you think. They look at me, and they shut up, because I care what the trainer thinks. 
I don't want their opinion. Their opinion is they're fine. You can't trust players. I mean, they just want to compete, right? It's in them. So, anyway, I'm sure those yeah, guys well, are the same way. But what a different level. Head, back, why did he go back in the game? Who knows? I just, I, I just think it, it's not a good look on the league is all. I, I just don't, I don't think it is. I think it's, it, it, it looks like it's not being taken seriously. Whether it is or isn't, it looks like it isn't. Anyway, Don, last week we heard Carey Price, well, we heard P.K. Subban announce his retirement, but a little bit before that, we heard Carey Price um, sounding like he may be done as an NHL goalie, which is a shame. He's, he's you know, arguably the best of his era. But I want to ask you this. We were just talking about football, and often in discussions about football, especially quarterbacks, there is a caveat put in. Dan Marino was the best quarterback of his era, but he never won a Super Bowl, so we can't really put him among the greats. Jim Kelly was a great quarterback, but he never won a Super Bowl, so we can't put him really among the all-time greats. Carey Price never won a Stanley Cup. He was a great goalie. Can we count him among the greats without a cup? Absolutely. He won a gold medal. No. Some but never a Stanley Cup. Might, might think that's pretty cool. Let me ask you this. How many great goalies have won a gold medal at the Olympics? So it depends on how you want to set your standards up. Like so, w- winning a go ahead. Winning a Stanley Cup, winning a Stanley Cup, um, winning a World Series, all those things. Like he was a great pitcher, but he never won a World Series. Dave Steve was a great pitcher, never won the World Series. Does that not make you know? Is he not one of the best Blue Jay pitchers ever? Because a bunch of them did win two World Series. I mean, if you're good, you're good. If you're great, you're great. And being great doesn't mean you can drag all your teammates with you. I, I think Kerry Price's greatness speaks that he took the last team that made the playoffs to the Stanley Cup Finals. If that isn't greatness, I don't know what is. You don't have to win the Stanley Cup. So why do we put so much emphasis? Because you know exactly what I'm talking about, and I think most people listening know I exactly do. what I'm yeah. talking about. I... I I mean, it would be my position my position that, for example, even though I'm not a Dolphins fan per se, I think Dan Marino is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And yet he has consistently got that asterisk beside his name that Joe Montana is a way better quarterback than Dan Marino because he won, what, three or four Super Bowls? Therefore, he must be that much better than Dan Marino. I don't get it, but it's there. Yeah, it's there, but it's... It, it, Ask me my opinion, you know, I got one and everything. I, I think it's wrong. Jim Kelly is one of the all-time greats. Jim Kelly went to the Super Bowl 27 straight times and lost. <laughs> that makes him a great quarter. Was it four in a row, wasn't it, or three? Three. Four. Yep, four. Was it four? Four times I mean, in a row, yep. You got to be great to get there. You got to be a bit of a slug not to win it once, but you got to be great to get there. I think that little piece of criteria only applies to guys that we're not sure if they're great. You know what? I mean, I'm sure Clark Gillies is a wonderful man. He's in the Hall of Fame because he was captain of the Islanders when they won the Stanley Cup. I think there are people that played in the National Hockey League 
that are better players than Clark Gillies that aren't in. If you want to use the analogy of winning matters, I don't think sometimes the criteria fits, but I'm like you, I get it, I understand it. It's just, if you want to have a conversation about it, I don't think fair. Well, I mean, look, I mean, one of the, one of the great examples is if you're going to say that you, you can't be one of the greats if you don't win a championship, all right, which as some people would say, if you're saying you can't be a great unless you win a championship, I would say logically the flip side of that argument is if you win a championship, then you must be a great. I don't think you can argue then that if you win, you're not included in the pantheon of great players. And so if you, if that's the logic, is Trent Dilfer a better quarterback than Dan Marino? No. Of course not. But that's what we do. That's that's how we... If you've won a championship, it must mean you were one of the greats. Brad Johnson, Jeff Hostetler, better quarterback than Dan Marino? I would say not in a million years. Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. Is he a better quarterback than Dan Marino or Jim Kelly? No. I would say not in a million years. Yeah, I, I agree. And you asked me my opinion, and I, I agree. I just, it's just not true in criteria based on if the criteria is did you win a Stanley Cup you get in the Hall of Fame I mean Rick Natras played on the Calgary Flames when he won the Stanley Cup he's not going to the Hall of Fame pretty good defenseman so the criteria yeah. has, to, has to have merit and you can't I don't think that's the word you can't demerit somebody because they didn't win a championship in their respective sport if if um, if uh, Ray Bork had not got traded to Colorado and had not won a Stanley Cup, would Ray Bork have not been considered one of the great defensemen of all time? Of course, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. Let's go back to Clark Gillies. Let me ask you that question. Because I didn't ask a question. Would Clark Gillies have made the Hall of Fame had he not have played for the New York Islanders and won those Stanley Cups? Uh, I would no, I, I would I would agree. I would agree. And and I mean, if we want to take it a step further, I have argued long with my our friend Bubba O'Neill and I have had some heated discussions because I'm of the opinion that you can extend that even to some of the guys who are great players who those championships have and and situations they found themselves in because of their team have accelerated or 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 greatly amplified or exaggerated their greatness. I think that Derek Jeter was a very good baseball player, but the idea that he went into the hall of fame unanimously when no one else did, that he is the great, one of the greatest players of all time is a joke, is a joke. Derek Jeter was a very good baseball player, but one of the greatest three or four or five players of all time. If Derek Jeter had been drafted by the Pittsburgh pirates or the Tampa Bay Rays back when they stunk, We'd be having the same discussion as we are about Clark Gillies, I think. I'm not you, sure. What, be, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Well, no. If you don't have all the opportunities huh. in the finals and in the playoffs, I'm not sure that you. Your well, your legacy. First of all, playing in New York for the Yankees is always going to make you have more attention. But if you're not in the playoffs, you don't get the chance to have those big games. And yes, he came through at times that were crucial times. I'm again, I'm not saying Derek Jeter stunk. I'm saying that I just I think that 
there are guys who were better players than Derek Jeter, but they were not in the circumstance. They didn't land on the Yankees at the time the Yankees were a dynasty. No, that's, timing matters for everything. Winning really helps, but it shouldn't be the criteria. And it, yep. without question, it does elevate guys to levels that perhaps it's they're unworthy of, but it is the way it is, and it's not going to change for sure. No, and let me throw let me throw one more back at you while you're talking about Carey Price. If there is any question about whether Carey Price is one of the greats because he never won a championship, would that automatically mean that if he had been drafted by Tampa Bay? And been with them because they probably, if they have Carey Price, well, they have a great goalie now. I, I, we probably shouldn't choose Tampa Bay. Let's choose another team that's r- Chicago, Toronto. let's say. If he played for the Blackhawks. No, teams that have that won cups. If he played for yeah. Chicago okay. at the time when they, you know, their goaltending was okay, but it wasn't Carey Price level. If he had gone there and instead of three cups, they won five cups because of Carey Price. Is suddenly yeah. he that much better? Is he that much different a guy because he was with a fantastic team at a time they peaked? I would say no. And you're right. But Carey Price is going to the Hall of Fame. He is. I just don't know when you get into a discussion about who is the greatest goalie of all time. Because he never won a championship, Carey Price will never end up in that discussion. Never. If he won two or three cups, I think he would. Yeah. You're never going to put yeah. him ahead of Patrick Waugh. As, even though he may have been a better goalie than Patrick Waugh, you're never going, no one is ever going to make the case that Carey Price was a all-time better goalie than Patrick Waugh. And the reason that will be the tiebreaker is Waugh won cups. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And nobody really looks back and looks at the team around the guy either. Exactly. Exactly. Back no one's going to say. Go ahead. Carey Price is the only reason. Yes. The Montreal Canadiens went to the Stanley Cup finals and people weren't even happy with his play in the finals by going, are you kidding me? He got them there. He's on a gas, baby. That's exactly I don't right. Know what's That's wrong, exactly right. But just no, no. Grateful. You're that you got there. You had no right being there. You weren't the second best team in the National Hockey League, but you did have the best goalie on the planet for two months. Well, we got to run, but just remember this, and it's not entirely Carey Price, but it's a big part of Carey Price. You went to the finals with him in net, and the next year you finished last in the NHL. Now, I know there were other factors involved, Weber and others, but... You went from being in the finals to last place. It says something about the team that was around you and who was carrying you. Anyway. That's hard to do. It's it's not, well, I was going to say, it's, I, I wouldn't think it's easy. Wouldn't think I it's easy. I don't practices it, but it's hard to do. Don, this is a uh, this is a great conundrum the Blue Jays are facing and it's created a bit of a discussion here that uh, the manager of the Blue Jays has said that if the Blue Jays get to the last game of the season... And they need to win to finish as the top seed in the wild card, which would mean they would get all three potentially wild card games at home. They would pitch Alec Manoa in the final game, their best pitcher, rather than using him in a short playoff series, they would use him 
in the last regular season game to try to win and get that home field advantage. And it is a good home field advantage this year in the playoffs. As I say, you get all the wild card games at home. If you were coaching that team, do you go all in, push all your chips in to win that home field advantage? Or do you say, I would rather take my chances with whatever we got. And if we lose, I'll go on the road, but I'll at least have my best pitchers all ready to go to try and win that series. What would you do? Well, um, first of all, it would depend on where my contract was. And if I'm the manager and I would sit and tell the uh, general manager and the president what I thought I would like to do. And if they said, no, we want to do this because surprise, never heard this before. Let's go with the money. And if we're going to get beat, let's get beat with three games at home or two games at home. So I think there's outside influences here. I think the smart money is we're already in the playoffs. Why don't, why don't we use our very best pitcher to see if we can get to the next round? Yeah, Rather it's a. It's, I mean, see if, see if we can sell the most popcorn. So it's a it tough one. Always be, goes back to the money. It's a tough one because Don, you're unlike previous years. It's not where you're going to get one extra home playoff game. You're getting oh, all the playoff games, or two, two or yep. three, and you might get you might get them in games three. You probably will. So if you get them in game three, you still don't get them in the next. You don't get them until game three of the next series. But I think it's just all about the money. I mean, it's always about bloody money. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, look, it, this is one of those ones that since they've come out and announced this ahead of time, and I'm with you, I don't think that this is actually the manager's decision because I, this is the kind of thing that a manager says to the GM and the president, like, okay, I want a job next year. So you you tell me how you want this to play out. Um, because it, you are inviting all, if this works out, everyone goes, wow, that was pretty smart. But imagine you pitch him in that 162nd game of the regular season that you have to win. And even if he's a gem that night and you lose one nothing, now you don't have him, you don't have home field advantage, and you got three games on the road. Now you're screwed. So their manager, who by all accounts is a good guy, um, I, I've liked what he's done based on what I've seen, and you're on an interim deal, and the president and general manager say he's going the last game to get his home ice or home, home uh, field advantage. What do you do? Say, hold my beer and watch this. I'll do what I want. I don't think so. Like I'd like no, a three-year you... contract in it. And if we lose, they haven't got your back either, right? Because he's going to say the politically correct thing. I made this decision. I thought it gave our guys the best opportunity by virtue of being at home, even if we don't have our race, the best chance to win. He makes that comment. He walks in the bathroom, throws up, and says, I can't believe I just said that. But he wants a job. And the Blue Jays want the home ice or home field advantage, and they want the money. Remember, you know me. If you can't figure it out, look at the money. Yeah, I, I uh, and you're right. You know what? He'll take the bullet one way or another because that's your job as the manager. You're the front guy. 
you know, I would like to think, call me Mr. Naive, but I would like to believe that if this thing were to blow up in the Jays' faces and it didn't work the way they wanted and it cost the Jays the season, I would like to believe that the general manager or president would step up front and say, no, this was our call. Because you know it is. You know it is. I would love to believe that would happen. I, I'm, I'm not sure I do. I think that it would be wow. the manager who would end up taking that bullet. Well, of course it is. And, and, and you would like to believe a lot of things. I want to fly the space shuttle. It's not going to happen. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> right? But... Like they're, they're not taking that bullet because they're, like, they're, they want their jobs too. You know the conversation with owners is, well, we talked to him about it. We thought that was the way to go. He finally made the call. They're throwing the manager under the bus. They don't give a – they're throwing yeah. the manager under the bus. Forgot almost, good thing I forgot it was on radio. <laughs> they don't I don't care. know. I, it, it would be, it would be a, a – Throng. It would be a – what's the word? I'm not, compassion is not the right word. It would be an upstanding thing, a stand-up thing to say it was our choice. I just, yeah, as you sure. say, I, I don't, I don't know that when you've got someone who will take the bullet, I don't know that you want to get in the way of it. Let them do it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we're paying this guy. Know, we hired him. We're paying him. I'll let him deal with the hassle of this one, even though everybody knows. Yeah. Well, you're not the, and you know what? If they, if they say to the guy, we're throwing you under the bus, but we're giving you a three year deal. You're going I'm good with that. I like underbusses. Sure. <laughs> watch my watch my head when you throw me under. I'm your guy. And maybe, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm older now and different perspective. If I was sitting where the manager is now, I'd say, look, at, I'm going to eat this thing. I'll swallow it. Are you going to give me a three-year deal? Because I'm signing it today. Before okay. I do this, I'm signing my three-year deal. You give me a three-year deal, you can, you know, get a bazooka and shoot me. But I want to be covered on this thing. And it goes back to the manager. It's all about the money. It's all about the Aaron money. Judge, it always is. Aaron Judge hasn't had a home run yet, and the Jays are down 2 nothing. Give it time. Both could change. Uh, Don Robertson, always appreciate you doing this on a Monday night. Thank you for, uh, thanks for the time, as always. All right, Scott. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. 911.